Today, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we're just we're going to eventually get to the book of of Acts, and we'll get to Acts the uh, seventh chapter eventually. Um, I want to speak today on. I try to entitle this. I guess the easiest way I can title this is I lived. Look at the person beside you and ask them, up till now, I don't hear anybody talking. Look at the person beside you and ask them, up till now, have you lived? Up till now, have you lived? That, that sounds so simple. And to ask someone else, you know that, you're like, well, they're alive, they're doing. But when you ask somebody that question, they can quickly tell you, yeah, or no. They can look at you and, they, and, and it instinctively digs to the deepest part of that person. Have you lived? Not are you alive, are you breathing, do you have enough to eat, will you make it through the weekend? Have you lived? Uh, one writer put it this way, and I love the way she writes this. Life is built upon a series of defining moments, including moments of crisis, of failure, of sadness, success, and joy. Although it is easy to let emotions dictate our response during a defining moment, how we respond will shape our faith, our personality, and determine the direction of our life. Defining moments is a moment that defines something, such as a success, a failure, achievement, demise, your talent. It is a point at which the glory or character of a person is revealed or identified. A defining moment can be a moment of crisis or a moment of breakthrough that turns a person's life around. I, and of all the things that, that I can describe my life by, I can describe it by defining moments. In fact, I'm standing here today because of defining moments in my life. Probably one that just comes to mind is the, the whole purpose of me preaching. And I've told you the story many times, but I'll share this part that I don't share as often. That I was called to ministry, came back to camp, got called, went back, Gave my life to God, all this stuff. But I was still, in a lot of ways, a, a business-minded person in the fact that I was trying to cut a deal with God. And God done said, leave Birmingham, come back home. Well, it worked out that when I came back home, I had a two-week moment off. I had a break in school. So when I say I packed everything and I came back home, my mind was I was going to come back home. But there was still a part of me that was like, if this doesn't work out in two weeks, I'm going back to Birmingham. Now, I know, I know that sounds strange to you. I had, I had quit, but I hadn't totally quit. Anybody ever have moments like that in their life? I'm committed, but not, you know, not committed. I still, I still kept that. And so when I came home that first week, because my dad, I didn't ask, I said, well, God, if it's meant to be, you'll find me a place to speak. If you want me to be a preacher, then I got to preach. You know, I got to do this. And so my dad asked me to preach. And I talked about that, how I preached for 30-something minutes. That's probably the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life. 
And so immediately after that, man, altar was full. I was like, great. But I'm still thinking, okay, I got nowhere else. It's my dad. He just let me preach, and, and that's, that's pretty much it. I've got one week to go back to Birmingham. And I said, God, if, if it's meant to be, then you'll find me another place to preach. My dad's talking to one of his buddies on the phone, and he said, have Tim come preach for me next week. So here I go. I even took my little brother Trent with me that night. And I said, okay, God, look, if, if I get up here and this thing is a total flop, and I mean, it's different preaching at your church where everybody loves you, and they, but if I get up here and I preach, this thing's a total flop, then I'm going back to Birmingham and we're done with this thing now. And I felt good about it. I preached the same sermon I preached the week before. This time, nobody came to the altar. Nothing happened. I'm thinking, yes. One person came to the altar. One guy, he just came up and stood with his hands up. And God spoke to me and said, Tim, don't ask him what's wrong with him. Don't, don't just go pray for him. Just lay hands on him. And so I did. I walked up to him. I said, his hands are already up. I didn't have to tell him to raise his hands. I just walked up and I said, whatever it is you're needing, God is going to give it to you. And I laid my hands on him. About that time, his feet came about this far on both sides of my shoulders. God hit him. His feet went this way. He was flat as a board, hit the ground. And I thought, well, that's, I've seen that before. That's pretty cool. But about that time, about 20 people come piling in the altars. But I had never seen that before. And so I'm, afterwards I asked, I'm like, what? And one of the ladies came up to me and said, you didn't know this, but he had had back surgery this week. He still has stitches in his back where they sutured him up. And he was praying because he was tired. It's, it's been multiple back surgeries and he was tired of it and it still was hurting and God healed him and not, not even one stitch was pulled. And when we saw that, we knew that that was God. I got in the car that night and I never made another deal with God. That was a defining moment of my life. It was a moment where nothing else didn't matter about anything else. Quitting was never an option from that moment on. Now, I know we hear about God and we've gotten our lives given to God and we've asked God to forgive us, but if we ever had a defining moment with God? Have you ever had a moment where you know, I don't care if everybody else or anybody else or whatever else happens, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see him. If it whatever takes place, I don't care. Family can quit. But as for me, it's been settled. I can even describe it in, in a church setting. The reason all seasons is, is where it is today is because of defining moments. One of those happened two years into the first, first when we were on Bank Street. Man, we were going to camp meeting. And I, I, I was like, man, we're just starting to kind of turn the corner. We're just starting to kind of get there. And a guy preached a sermon. And I'll never forget, I see him from time to time at different places. And, and, he, and, and when he stood up that night, Tony Scott preached a sermon and he said, 
30-something years ago or 20-something years ago, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Toledo, Ohio. My bad, I got the T's wrong. In Toledo, Ohio. He said, in Toledo, Ohio, I was called by God to go and win that city to the Lord. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know what you feel like. I was called to forest. And, and he, he begins to tell his story. He said, six months in, he said, man, only way I can describe it is all hell broke loose. My superintendent had quit on me. This had happened. He said, one of the ladies walks up in front of the churches and hands me a letter of resignation right into the thing. He said, I was so mad. I didn't even have singing that day. I just preached. And he said, I went home and got on the phone to my district pastor. And I said, you got to get me out of here. He said, it's all broke loose over here. And he said, it is a mess. He said, you got to get me out of here. And on the other end, the district pastor just said, praise the Lord, Tony. And Tony went back through it again. He said, you don't understand. I got people resigned. I got, I got a church split. I'm telling you, it's, it's chaos here. He said, praise the Lord, Tony. By the fourth time, he had told his story, and he keeps saying, praise the Lord. Finally, Tony, asked, why do you keep saying, praise the Lord, every time I tell you I got to get out of here? He said, Tony, six months ago, you came into my office, and he said, you had a biggest smile on your face, and you told me, God has called me to Toledo, Ohio, to win as many people, all the people in Toledo, Ohio. And he said, Tony, think about it. You finished it in six months. Tony said, I hung up the phone. He said, that was 20-something years later. There's a lot of moments in my life that that story comes back to me. I've had all I'm going to take. That's it. I'll do something else. And that story of him on that phone, praise God, Tim, you got it all done already. And in my mind, I hang up the phone and I go back. Do you, can you recall defining moments in your life? Do you have them? They, they transform everything about you. They transform how you think. They transform how you live. You can't copy them from someone else. You can't hear my story and think, oh, I, I, I'm going to hear. You may can use my story to be a catalyst moment like I did with Tony, but it has to be your own experience. I still had to go through every one of those moments like Tony did, and I still had to do the same thing, which hang up the phone. I still had to say, I'm not quitting but every one of us has to go through defining moments. In fact, the Bible is full of them. That's what we applaud. Do you know God had a defining moment? Go to John 3.16. God has a defining moment. You know what he says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said a moment in time. We're fixing to celebrate it. It's fixing to be Christmas. And you know what we're celebrating? Jesus coming to the earth. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. No, I'm going to tell you what you're celebrating. You're celebrating the defining moment of God. 
you're celebrating that before the foundations of the world were established, God said in the fullness of time, I will send my son and everything that's happened before and everything that happens after that will be because and for and for this reason. It is the moment that I chose to love the world that I gave the greatest gift that will ever be under a Christmas tree. I gave the greatest gift the world could ever give. I gave my only begotten son that whoever would believe in me will never perish but have everlasting life. He said, I had a defining moment and I gave it to the world. Do you know Jesus has, even in his life, had defining moments? You go to John 2 and verses 3 through 5. Listen to what it says. Jesus is reluctant. Jesus is at a moment of his life where he's like, I like my life kind of where it is. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, nobody knows me. I, I like just doing what I'm doing. Here's what it says. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, isn't it always your mom that gets you in trouble? Your mom knows who you are. The mom knows what you have ability to do. Mom always pulls it out. And mom said to Jim, they have no wine. And I, I like, I'm like, I love what Jesus says. Listen. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Uh, well, why, why are you, why are you asking or telling me? Why, why are you bothering me? But listen to what he says. My hour has not yet come. But we know what happens. The next verse. And Jesus turns to the servants that are by Jesus. And he, she just points and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And in a moment, the very first miracle that we are recorded of Jesus takes place. It's the defining moment of his life. He can't hide anymore. The next thing we read is that his fame starts going everywhere and people start talking. We hear about this Jesus, man, he turned the water into wine. It's this, I'm telling you, he's healing people. He's doing. There, there's another defining moment, of course, when he dies. But within the Bible, there's all different types of moments. You can look at people like Job. Think about Job's life, a defining moment. Go with me to Job 2, verses 7 through 10. Man, life is just going along swell. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a, a potsherd which, which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of those foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's a moment in time where his kids are killed, his cattle's taken away, his wife is telling him just curse God and die. Everything is turned. I mean, just in a moment of time, he has gone from this wealthy man to a dying man with nothing. It's a defining moment of his life. What, what are you going to do in a defining moment? How about in Daniel, Daniel 3, 16? 
Verse 28, it talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are you going to do in a defining moment when one day you just get a letter in the mail that says, oh, by the way, we've built this new statue, and hey, when you hear the music play, every one of you has got to bow down and worship it. We just passed this new law, just thought we'd put it on you. What do you do? When up to right now, everything has gone well. Man, we finally found us a place here in Babylon. We've got good jobs. Everything's going good. It's kind of like the pandemic that's come through and, and people have to make decisions about this. Well, what do you do when somebody says, hey, it's been great, man. We've been going, I've had this job for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, hey, if you don't get the shot, we're going to fire you by January. Really? What do you do at defining moments of your life? If we go to Daniel, the sixth chapter, there's Daniel sitting there with King Darius who also decides, I'm going to pass a decree. The only person you can pray to is me. What do you do at a defining moment? I mean, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your life. What do you do when you're advised by friends and family to curse God and die? What do you do when they tell you to renounce God, quit talking about God? You can't worship God anymore. What do they do when they tell you to quit praying? Or if you do pray, don't use Jesus' name because we don't use that. Just say God, so therefore it could be any God. What do you do at defining moments in your life? Even the disciples have to deal with this. Go with me to Mark 4. 37 through 41. Do you know there's a lot of times that most people at defining moments in their life will just turn negative? I know it's none of us, but there are people in the world that when something bad happens, it's just like, oh, it always happens to me. You may have friends that you know that are, that are like this, that when something takes place, it's like nothing ever goes right. Just started to get things going, and here we go. The disciples are on a boat, and listen to what happens. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat in the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher. Notice, notice now they did not say master anymore. They, did not, they, didn't, they didn't say it in a correct way. They didn't say Lord. They, did, they didn't say, oh, miracle. They, they say, Teacher, do you not care that we... Because I guarantee you before they woke him up, it wasn't just like, let's go wake him up. I hate to bother him. No, they're all sitting there in the boat watching him sleep. And one of them says, can you see that? Here we are dying, and that rascal's back there sleeping. Can, can you believe that? We're about to die. He ain't, even, he ain't even bailing water with us. He's doing just sleeping, just like a preacher. When you need him, they're gone, sleeping. On vacation. Now, I know y'all wouldn't say stuff like that, but I'm just saying it does happen. That when bad things happen to us, it's immediately how negative stuff starts coming out of our mouths. 
Somebody didn't fix it. Somebody didn't, didn't correct it. Somebody didn't. And the disciples, when it turns, they go negative. It's, it's many times for some of us in here, that's kind of our normal thing. Just put on our face that tells everybody, go away. I'm not happy anymore. Life is not good. Sleeping. Don't you care? Don't you even care that we're dying? The Bible says, and he arose. No, I love how he does this. He doesn't even acknowledge their saying. He doesn't say. He doesn't get in a conversation with them. He just rebukes the wind and the sea and peace and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, then he turns around and talks to them. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you getting so negative and upset? Do you not have faith? Why did you change the way you're talking? Do you not believe? And they were, and they feared exceedingly. Now, they were afraid of dying, but now it says, the Bible says, they were afraid exceedingly. Because they had seen something that was scarier than the wind. They'd seen somebody big enough to stand on the front of the boat and tell the wind to calm down. The storm is one thing, but the one that can talk to it, now that'll scare you. That will, that will scare you. So they come at it from a negative perspective. Now, we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know that Daniel, we know that Job, they attack it from a positive side. They look at it and say, as Job says to his wife, you talk like one of those foolish women. I've served God in good times. I'm going to serve him in the bad. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, oh, king, we're not slow to answer you concerning this thing. Because Nebuchadnezzar said, look, guys, I know you may, have, you may be hard of hearing. You may have had issues. It may have, may have just been a bad moment. I'm going to play it all again and give you a chance to do it. And they said, don't even waste your time. We're not slow to answer you. If you play it again or again or you round it up the third time, we're not bowing. We've already made our decision. It's already decided. Daniel... What does he do when the decree comes down? You can't pray to anybody but King Darius. He goes home, hides in his house, eats his soup. No, the Bible says he goes home, and as his normal routine is, he opens his windows toward the east, toward Jerusalem, and kneels right at the window where everybody can see him, and there he's praying to his God in front of everybody walking by. I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you, I know what I'm going to do. But some of the toughest times for us, you're like, Brother Lott, I, I do good at that. I, I, when things happen, I run to God. I, well, how about during moments of celebration? Of all the things in America that causes us our biggest problem, It's our lack of need that creates our biggest problems. 
Go with me in your Bibles to Luke 12, verses 16 through 20, and I'll show you another reaction that we can have. Because remember, a defining moment doesn't mean it's a bad moment. A defining moment can mean something good. You got a raise. You finally got delivered of drugs. You finally got forgiven. You finally found the right person. You finally found your right job. You finally found all the things you've been looking for. What do you do in the moment of celebration? Some people react wrong. At the moment in their life, they react wrong. Listen to what it says. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Well, that's a good question. You, you, you got a raise. You, your crops came in good. You just signed a contract with somebody that, what are you going to do at that moment? What are you going to do when life turns good? And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? In other words, everything I've ever needed, I thought I needed, I got now. I used to just want to be able to go to McDonald's and buy a hamburger. I got that now. What do I do if I got more than that? Well, shoot, I'm not going to eat at McDonald's anymore. I'm just going to start eating real good food all the time and spend my money that way, right? That's the way we think. What do we do? If we've got more money, the house we live in is fine. It, it keeps us warm. It tastes good. Shoot. Now I can afford a five-bedroom. Why do I need to keep living in this little thing? Most of our problems do not happen because of want. Most of our problems happen when things are good. Never seen people as hard to preach to when they're in jail. But it's a booger trying to get them in church after they get out. When problems come, it don't seem like it's that big an issue to get to God. But when you don't, quote, need God, but see, you're forgetting something. You didn't make it happen. You didn't make your heart beat today. You didn't make your eyes open. You didn't keep yourself safe from somebody driving on the wrong side of the road coming to church this morning. You didn't do any of those things. The ground gave you a good day. See, the rich man forgot that part of it. It said the ground gave him a great harvest. The ground, God gave it to him. But listen to what he says. Oh. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. Shoot, why mow two acres of grass when you can mow 20? That's so much more fun mowing 20 acres of grass. Right? Because then you got to get a bigger lawnmower, a tractor with a bush hog behind it. You've always wanted a tractor. Now, I know I'm not talking to any of you. I'm just talking to people that, that can go this route. Our problem many times, our celebrations. When we celebrate, we celebrate ourselves. We celebrate our accomplishment. We celebrate our victory. I will do this. I will pull down my parns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to myself, self, 
you've got a lot of stuff laid up for a lot of years. Now you can take it easy. You can watch more football. You don't have to work as hard anymore. Just enjoy life now. But God said to him, fool. And that's a lot of long conversation. God doesn't usually do a lot of whole long words. He just, fool. This night your soul will be required of then whose will these things be which you have provided. You ever think about that? Who's going to get your stuff when you're gone? If you died right now, who's going to get your stuff? Who would want your stuff? Is there stuff you got that you know they're probably going to throw it away? And that's my stuff. Man, I, I like that. They're probably going to sell it in the yard sale and get 50 cents for it. All my stuff. They're going to go through my shed. Give some of my stuff away. Steal some of my stuff. People going to come over and say, that was mine. He borrowed it years ago and I've been coming back over to get it. They're going to steal my stuff. Fool. Whose stuff will it be? Because your life, many times the greatest problem we have is in our celebration. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts. Acts 3. I told you I'd get there. Acts 7, verses 30 through 36. You there? Acts 7, verses 30 through I told you. It took me a while, but I got there. I want to share with you three steps, three ways to have a defining moment in your life. Three ways to have a defining moment in your life. Here's what it says. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, this is Moses, in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard the groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I love how God does that. He first says, I have decided to do something. Now you go do it. It is God's, one of my favorite sermons to preach. If you ever want to preach a fun sermon, that right there is a good one. When God says, I have decided, and he sends you. God says, I have decided, but I'm going to send you. And here's what he says. And he brought, he brought them out after, and Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be the ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. That defining moment in Moses' life, that burning bush moment is what's carrying him through all of his life. That defining moment that that angel who spoke to him and said, you're the one that's going to do it. He brought them out after they had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Number one, if you're wanting to have a defining moment in your life, 
then you're going to have to choose to be comfortably uncomfortable. You're going to have to choose in your life to be comfortably uncomfortable. I am comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm, I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm, I'm comfortable with, with, with debt. I'm comfortable with, with whatever it is I got to have at the moment, whatever, I'm, I, whatever deadline is laid before me. I'm comfortable at being uncomfortable. Most people run fight to get to a place where they have little responsibility or no responsibility or nothing to worry about or, or they don't even have to worry. I mean, think about it this morning. If tomorrow morning you were off work, if you were off work, didn't have to work tomorrow morning, how late would you sleep? See, most people, the first thing they think when they think I'm off I'm sleeping in today. Because we fight for what? Comfort. We fight for comfort. Let me tell you the problem with it. If you ever have a chance to look this up, and I'll just give it to you, I don't have time to deal with all of it. One Minute with Maxwell. John Maxwell, it's called One Minute with Maxwell. You can catch it off of the, the video. One minute with Maxwell, and he talks about a defining moment. It just takes one minute. He does one minute talk. If you ever want to hear something good, if you need to listen to that every day of your life, just listen to it for that one minute to start your day, and I guarantee it will change your day. And here's what he talks about. He says, you know what most of us do? Most of us look at today and we say, I could do it tomorrow. That's what most of, most, most of us say. Most people get up and they say, I can do it tomorrow. I get a little done. I'll, I'll, I'll finish it up. I'll, I'll get that done tomorrow. He said, let me tell you the problem. He said, a coach, a good coach will tell every player, give me 100% every day in practice. He said, here's why. He said, because if I only give you 80% today and I say, I'll make it up tomorrow, that means I have to give how much percent? I have to give 120%. That's what people say. I'm going to give you 120%. I'm going to give you 110%. Any other people ever say that? I'm telling you, tomorrow now, I'm going to take off today, but tomorrow I'm going to give you 110%. Let me just tell you, you can look at him and say, liar. Because you know how much you can give? 100%. So that means that if I only give you 60% today, then tomorrow I am what? I'm 40% behind from whatever I try to do. Even if I gave you another 100 tomorrow, I'm still 40% behind where I should be. And if you live your life understanding that, then you will achieve and you will go places and you will do things. You'll get your grass mowed, you'll get your stuff cleaned up, you'll get your stuff done, you'll be able to take care of it, you won't sleep till 12 o'clock in the morning, you'll get up because you'll know that today is the only day I got, I got so many hours, I got enough sleep, I don't need to lay here and watch As the World Burns, or Good Morning Mississippi, or whatever else you like to watch, and whatever you waste your time doing about stuff that tomorrow you'll need a whole new recipe for it, because yesterday's news is over, and now you got today's news, and, and if you finally just realize you can only give today 100% you got one shot at today to give 100%. Tomorrow you can't give it. It's gone. It'll change the way you live your life. 
choose to be comfortably uncomfortable. You know, in fact, Moses, when he named his son Gershom, Gershom, because when he was in the desert and he was gone for 40 years, before the burning bush, he had two boys. He named one of them Gershom. You know what he, that name means? It means a stranger in a foreign land. I got this boy, and I don't even belong here. I got this boy, and this ain't even my where I'm supposed to be. I'm a stranger in a foreign land. Every time he mentioned that boy's name, hey, Gershom, it reminded him, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. That's why I asked you to begin today. Why don't we try it again? Maybe it's a little more, a little more thoughtful now. Look at the person beside you and ask them, have you lived? You got one life, one shot. Have you lived? Number two, quit living as though your purpose in life is to die. You're going to die. But quit living like you're getting ready for it. That's what the desert teaches you. It either, it either trains you to die or it trains you to live. The children of Israel were eventually brought out to the desert. And what did it teach them? To die. Because all they could ever do every time something went wrong was do what? We're going to die. We're going to die. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough this. Nobody loves me. I don't have the right car. My hair ain't look good. This don't work. That don't. I'm going to die. I'm getting fat. Whatever you can come up with, all you're doing is living to die. Realize, quit living as though your purpose in life is to die. So if you're going to have this defining moment, you've got to choose to be comfortably uncomfortable. Because when that burning bush moment comes, you've got to be able to say, God, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't know. I don't. But you're willing to do it. And you've got to realize that where you're at isn't where you belong. So if I'm going to die, I don't want to die in this desert. If I'm going to die, I want to die doing something. Number three, when that burning bush moment comes, when a defining moment comes, dare to pursue, pursue a dream and a destiny that is destined to fail unless God does something. Choose to pursue a dream or a destiny where it will fail Unless God does something. God promises Moses, Moses, if you'll do this, I will be with you. I will bring you out. I will show signs. I will. Every defining moment in my life that I describe to you requires a part of me. But every defining moment of my life could not be accomplished by me.
I laid my hands on that guy that night. But it wasn't my power that hit him. I chose to stay when God said, Tim, come to Forest, and in five years I'll help you build a building and, and, and trust me. And, but I didn't send the people. I don't know where most of you came from, how you got here. But God does. He knew the journey that you took to get to this place, all the twists and turns. And that's why a lot of people will tell me, the past lot of my defining moment was the day I walked in this building. My life changed. Defining moment can be any moment, any time. It's just a God moment where you know that God, if without you, I can't do this. And God says, that's great. Because I've done promised, I won't leave you nor forsake you, but I'll be with you to the end of the way. So you got that covered. I, I, I can't be a dad. I'm not any good at being a mom. I'm, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. Gifts from God, the Bible says one of the greatest gifts from God is children. They're gifts from God. So if God gave you that gift, He also said, listen to me, I'm going to be there to take care of you. I love it the way of defining moment. Let me give it to you in a funny story. There was a soldier and a captain one time, they were getting on a train. And... This soldier, you know, he didn't like this captain too much, but they're riding together on the train. But just so happens, the way they were seated, it's almost like a bus right directly across from them, and the, and the chairs right across was this beautiful young lady and her grandmother. And he was thinking, well, something good come out of this. So he's sparking up a conversation. The commander's kind of just sitting there looking, you know, kind of deal. And grandmother's, you know, she's eyeing this boy. And boy, the more they're talking, you can just see it in their eyes. They're just, they're falling for each other, man. It's just, and about that time, the whistle blows, which means they're fixing to go through a dark tunnel. And when they go through that dark tunnel, all of a sudden the lights go out and you hear two smacks. First one is where he kisses the girl. He just, when that lights went out, he just reached across, grabbed her by her ears and And about that time, you hear the second smack. Spah! They come out the other end. The grandmother looks over and says, I can't believe that young man kissed her. But I'm glad she slapped him. The commander looks over and says, Took a lot of courage for that boy to kiss that girl. But I wish she hadn't have missed him. And it slapped me. And then the girl smiles and says, I'm sure glad he kissed me, but I hate that my grandmother slapped him. And the old boy just leaned back smiling because that day in the dark, he got to do two things he's always wanted to do. He kissed that girl and he turned around and slapped his captain. <laughs> he had a moment in time you know, just a short moment, it got dark for just a moment. But it was long enough to accomplish two things he needed to accomplish. Let me see if I can make it more serious. There's a song that I love. It's, it's a, if I describe it to you, you'll, you'll understand better because, you know, I talked several weeks ago and I taught on 
how Bono, uh, the singer Bono for U2 and all that, how he became a Christian. And some of the music he wrote was out of Christian lyrics and different things. Well, he impacted enormous amounts of other singers doing this. A lot of their music is very deep. A lot of their music has meaning behind it. And in this, there's another group called One Republic. Anybody know One Republic? Go ahead, just admit it. You, yeah, there you go. There goes a hand right there. You're a One Republic fan. And one of their songs that I love, it's one of my favorite, it played at my funeral. It's called I Live. I love that song. In fact, let me explain why. Because it's an inspirational song. Because he hung out with Bono, but on his next album that they were fixing to write, the, the lead singer, Ryan Tenner, uh, said, I, I want to put something in there that has meaning. Because he was so touched by, by, by Bono and how being around them and them doing stuff together, he was like, I want to write something with meaning. And he thought, as he was writing, what can I write that has meaning? And he has a four-year-old boy. He has a four-year-old son, and he said, I wanted to write something to my four-year-old son that would inspire him. And so the song, I Lived, was produced. It came out. Isn't it funny how I talked about a moment? A moment with Bono creates a moment that I think, and a moment I write a song that touches lives. Now, what makes it even greater is when they were fixing to do the video for this song. The video for this song, they were like, well, it's not just a regular song. It's not just... So they found a kid. His name is, is, is Ryan. I'll say it right. His name is Brian War, Warniki. He was 15 years older then, and he has cystic fibrosis. Ryan is wanted more than anything else to, to do things, to, to be active. In fact, the video covers all of this. And before I say anything else and close this, I want to play the video for you. Is that okay? This is the video to the song. So those of the One Republic fans, we'd be like, so we're cool. We just, we just, you know, thank God. Because that's really what it is. It's, it's, if you listen to the words, it's all about living. And everything I've told you this day is about a moment in time to choose to live. Have you lived? Brother Lord, I got issues. We all have issues. Moses had issues. Daniel had issues. The lady with the issue of blood had issues. Jesus had issues. The question is, have you lived? Have you chosen in your life to say, I'm going to choose that thing? And let me read it to you from an article that I love when it was talking about this song. It says, what will it take for each of us to realize that we are given each moment to live to the fullest? I'm talking about a life of really experiencing emotions, relationships, beauty, and love. Going to extreme measures to give to others. And going out of our way to love people. When I first heard this song, I immediately thought of a person conquering the world, climbing mountains, skydiving, swimming with whales, and traveling through beautiful places. But as I thought about it, I realized that living is that and so much more. We each have a calling for greatness. 
God has placed a particular and unique vocation on each one of our hearts to serve Him in some radical way. How will we know exactly what He wants us to do? The more we sit in His presence, excuse me, The more we sit in His presence and invite Him, the more He will reveal His will for our lives. We can know His will just by listening to Him. But the hard part is standing up and having the courage to make it happen. Even if you feel Him urging you to do something small for Him, like serving Him in a particular ministry, or even in a large ways like starting your own ministry, writing a book, or starting a Bible study, or worship night, don't be afraid to do it. The thing is, we have to allow the Spirit to place God's dreams in our hearts. Then, like I said before, we have to have the courage to pursue it. Imagine a world where every person striving to fulfill God's will in their lives, constantly listening to His voice, and courageously pursuing His wishes. How the world would be on fire for goodness and love. It takes people like you and me to take the next step and make it happen. It starts with the people around you. God calls us to different places of ministry all the time. But He also asks us to start right where we are. In our homes, at work, at school, with the people we encounter every day. If we empty ourselves and allow Him to guide us, He will lead us into places we can never imagine. Do things you normally wouldn't do. Allow your heart to be stretched and let yourself be pushed outside your comfort zone. It is in these moments that the most incredible things happen. Have you lived? I think more importantly the question is, do you want to live? I don't think there's a shortage of hearing God's voice. I think many times there's just a shortage on moving, reacting. For you that are living, for you that are doing and serving and changing people's lives around you and pursuing that thing, congratulations. You may have some broken bones, you may have some tears. But like the song says at the very end, and that's why I said I want it played at my funeral. Because I've gone so many places. I've seen so many things. Done things I can hardly imagine. But when it's all said and done, somebody can look at my life and they can say, that dude lived. He lived. Will you stand? With every head bowed, would you just allow God for just a moment? Maybe Moses standing there by that burning bush that day 
maybe that's what he heard more than anything else from God's voice. Maybe that's what registered with him more than anything else was God was saying, Moses, have you lived yet? I know you lived your way. I know you got you into all kind of trouble. You killed a couple people and you had to run out here in the desert. I... And maybe it scared you and you thought, look, I'm just not going to live because living just gets you into all kind of trouble. Living, I tell you, just... Moses, would you like to live? Then you got to learn to be Comfortably uncomfortable, Moses. You got to learn that the desert and where you're at is not where you were born to be. And just remember, Moses, that if I've sent you to do something, I'm going to be right there with you. It's not your strength, Moses. It's mine that's going to get you through. I'll open doors that nobody can open and I'll close doors nobody can close. Are you ready to live, Moses? I know you got hang-ups and things in your life that seemingly are going to stop you, but don't worry about it. I got you. There are moments in your life like this moment right now. It's a moment you're never going to forget. It's a moment where you can decide, God, today, today I decide today. I wasn't born for just living to die. I know I've got things that I'll have to work on and correct and you'll have to help me and we'll have to grow but God today I give a hundred percent and every day that I get up I will give you my hundred percent and you do with it what you will for somebody in this room today that's that's what's taking place right now where you're standing. Right where you're standing. If you're in this place and it guts God speaking, you're ready to make that. Would you just, as every head's bowed, just, just throw your hands up. Just throw them up and say, God, that's me. I want to be that 100% every day to you. I want to live... When they asked me that question a while ago, and I, are you living? There's a part of me that says no. And it's not because there's worldly things I could chase after. I know that even if I got those, that I would, it would last for a season and I'd be worse off than I started. That's not what I'm talking about, but I want to live. I want to have memories and I want to have stories. Pastor Lot's got stories. I want stories in my life. That's me, God. And today, I just give it to you. And all I can promise you is that I'm going to give you 100%. 
as you guide me, direct me, as you inspire me, as you use my gifts, I'm going to give you 100%. And you'd make the story. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hey, if you get a chance, do some living this week. Do some living this week. Real living.